Weekend, everybody. Oh, eight of you have a sense that it's a good weekend. It's uh, you are the few, the brave, the proud. Thanks for coming out. For many of you joining us online, we're glad that uh, you're safe and warm. Uh, but we're actually in lawn chairs right now and having hot chocolate here. No, I'm just kidding. All right, it's uh, going to be a good experience together. I um, I have a bad cold, so my already nasal voice sounds even more nasal, and I apologize to you for that, but there's nothing much I can do about it. How many of you are suffering from a cold as well? Yeah, so many are. <clears throat> my wife gave it to me, and I appreciate it. <clears throat> but I told her that kissing her was worth every last germ. All right. All right, enough. Say, Pastor had too much cold medicine. <laughs> so uh, we are in the second message of our series called Rethink. And we're talking about uh, the importance of changing our thinking because you can't change your behavior if you don't change the way you think. And God is the one who wants to change how we think. We need his help. We can't do it on our own. Remember, we started our series in January with reset, resetting a lot of areas in our life. Now it's Rethink. Because we're wanting to learn how to live like Jesus, which we can't do on our own. We need the power of his Holy Spirit, and we need the direction of his word. And so the area that we want to rethink this weekend is how we do things. Because a lot of us can easily fall into the habit of doing things the same way. How many of you like, in your life, structure that is the same and repeated and you can count on all the time? Let me see your hands. I tried convincing my wife that that wasn't true in my life. And then she reminded me that, no, I am also a creature of habit, and I realize she's right. When I go to my favorite coffee shop or my favorite Dairy Queen, I always sit in the same place. If I don't sit in that place, I can't enjoy it as much. Isn't that weird? And the other day I walked in and somebody was sitting in my place at the local coffee shop, and I get there at 5.30 a.m. And I've been doing that for a long time, and this person invaded my space. So you know what I did about it? I didn't ask her to move. That wouldn't be very Christian. I wanted to. I just started getting there earlier. That's wrong. Damn. <clears throat> anyway, <laughs> I want you to turn to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. We run into a group of characters uh, who are called uh, the Pharisees, who are supposed to be the religious leaders of their day and advancing the cause of God, and they have really gotten stuck in the way that they think. So Mark chapter 7, Mark chapter 7, and let's run into these guys with Jesus. It says, one day some Pharisees and teachers of religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. 
they noticed that some of his disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand-washing before eating. The Jews, especially the Pharisees, do not eat until they have poured water over their cupped hands as required by their ancient traditions. In other words, it's not just pouring water over your hands. <clears throat> There's a certain way you have to do it. It says, similarly, they don't eat anything from the market until they immerse their hands in water. This is but one of many traditions they have clung to, such as their ceremonial washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and teachers of religious law asked him, why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? They eat without first performing the hand-washing ceremony. Jesus replied, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. That verse always grabs me because I realize that can happen in my life too. I can say the right thing, but my heart be in the wrong place. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. For you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. In other words, what he's saying is, you do the same thing the same way all the time, and that becomes more of a God to you than God himself. So let me illustrate this with this little three-legged stool. If we go back to the Israelites for a moment, one of these legs would represent the law that God gave to them, 613 commandments in the Old Testament. Second leg represents human reasoning. God gives us human reasoning so that we can understand what God has done in nature and so we can understand what God reveals to us in his word. The third leg is tradition, and all of us, all of us have tradition. All of us do things a certain way. It's not necessarily wrong. Tradition is the accumulation of wisdom. If I put these three legs down, it forms a nice plane and very anchored and very sturdy. Well, what happened is uh, around 585 B.C. or so when Jerusalem was ransacked by the Babylonians and taken and resettled in other areas of the empire, leaving only a handful of people in Jerusalem. They took the 613 commands and they said to themselves, we need to protect these commands. So a group that eventually became known as the Pharisees began to take the 613 laws of God and write laws about the laws. And that form was called tradition. So that by the time Jesus shows up, they've used their reasoning to analyze God's word and create these traditions. And the, the leg, imagine this leg is three feet longer and bigger around. If I set this thing down, it's not going to be stable. It's going to fall over because it's lopsided now. And that's what happened to them. They became lopsided by all the rules about the rules. Let me give an example. One of the commands, God says, is to honor the Sabbath, keep it holy, don't do work one day in seven, he told his people. I want you to rest like I rested. I want you to enjoy, I want you to relax. I, I, I want you to have this time with me and just, just to be still. Well, they couldn't leave that alone. So they created 39 categories of what it means to work on the Sabbath so people wouldn't work and disobey that command. And under the categories, they created all kinds of rules and regulations. So, for instance, they discussed things as picky as how many letters of the Hebrew alphabet can you write on the Sabbath and not be working? How many steps can you take on the Sabbath and not be working? Do you realize how far that can go? 
Take that and multiply it by 613 commands, you end up with the Mishnah, and it becomes a rule book about the rules. And the problem is they saw their rule book as basically like the Torah because it was based on the Torah. And so Jesus shows up and he says, you guys are full of it. He just says, uh, he says, this is not what God ever intended. It's not about the rules. It's about a relationship. And from now on, I will fulfill the law because I'm perfect. The law was meant to point to you how much you needed God. Now it's a relationship. Trust me. Trust me. And that's why they crucified him. Because they lost sight of what God had originally called them to do. And what God originally called them to do was to, to be his witness in this world. We learn that from Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. It says there that God called Abraham, foreign of family, said to Abraham, I'll make you a great nation, and through you all the nations of the world are going to be blessed, are going to be blessed. But by the time Jesus shows up, the nations aren't being blessed. What the Jews have done, they built, they really built a wall around themselves, and they said, our life is about keeping our law and keeping our traditions. Forget about the Gentiles. And Jesus says, you've missed out. You were here for a purpose. You were here for a reason. If you go back and read the Bible carefully, God called the Israelites out to do three things. Number one, to preserve the word of God, the truth. Number two, to be a living testimony of God's power and God's presence so that the rest of the nations would say, look, there is a God because look how blessed these people are. Look how God fights for them. Look how God takes care of them. We want to be part of that too. And thirdly, to provide the lineage of the Messiah who would save the world. But they lost it all by being focused on themselves, by being focused on rules and regulations. What happened to Israel is they either became, they either became legalistic and ritualistic and rule-oriented, or in other instances they compromised with the culture, and you couldn't even tell they were God's people anymore. And what happened to them so easily happens to us, believe it or not. It's amazing how we too can, can get so focused on what we think is, is what it means to be a Christian or what it means to be religious, that we lose sight of the mission that God has called us to. We start arguing and basing our lives and our faith on the most obscure, foolish things. You say, give me an example of that. Okay, I will. <clears throat> Hopefully I won't offend you. How about worship music? You ever heard of the worship wars? <laughs> That's one of the things I love about Wooddale is that we offer a variety because we believe that God can be worshipped with a variety of styles of music. It doesn't have to be just one style. There is no certain style that God has that God goes, now, that's my favorite. I think I'll show up to that congregation this weekend. <laughs> but they're playing the music so loud over there that even when I show up, God says I have to wear the earplugs. No. That's not how God looks at it. It's not how God thinks about it. But isn't it amazing, isn't it crazy how we get settled on that and that defines what it means to be a Christian or not a Christian? Or give you another example. Sometimes it's service times. Everybody knows that 11 a.m. is the true time to worship God. Amen? I told that to the 8.30 crowd and they repented. They'll be here next weekend. There's no, there's no right time. You can worship God anytime, anywhere. Now, the issue is worshiping God. Or how about service liturgy? Isn't it funny how we fall into, you know, how the service is ordered and it has to be ordered a certain way, and in our country it needs to end in 60 minutes. Because if it doesn't end in 60 minutes, well, there's issues, right? I remember a guy called me years ago when I was first pastoring. I'm a young pastor. 
It was Mother's Day. He called me the night before. I can still see his face. He's gone to be with the Lord. And he said to me, Pastor, tomorrow's Mother's Day. I said, I know that. He said, I'm sure you got a special message for the mothers. I said, I do. He said, will you be done by noon because I have an appointment at the restaurant and I want to make sure we get in on time. I said, we'll see. Anyway. <laughs> or how about Bible translations? You know, some people believe that Jesus spoke in King James English that the Bible was originally given that way. There are churches today that are King James-only churches. If you bring a different Bible, you are committing a horrible sin. My dad was attending one, and uh, my dad's a little bit rebellious, and uh, they asked him to preach because they knew he had been a missionary. So he got up and spoke for the NIV. He was never asked to speak again. <laughs> we have certain ministry models that we think are the right models, right? Seeker-sensitive, seeker-driven, Christian-only, multi-siding, church planting, you know, styles of youth ministry, ways of doing things, small groups, no groups, big groups, mid-sized groups, and we start to think that that's the right way. Or dress code. Got my suit jacket on, all right? You know, God, God's particular about how we dress. And so isn't it amazing how we judge each other by how we dress or don't dress? That decides whether we're spiritual or not. Or the right denomination. You know, everybody knows that Baptists are going to go to heaven first, right? <laughs> I don't have time to tell a joke, but there's one that comes to mind. Anyway, uh, but, or, or polity, how we govern our church, deacons or elders, or on and on it goes. Isn't it amazing, isn't it amazing what churches split over? What Christians fight over? And I just imagine Jesus showing up and going, what are you guys doing? You've taken this stool and you've taken one of the legs and you made it huge. That's not what my word says. That's not what it's all about. I have called you like I call my people to be on mission for me and to bring the hope of the gospel to a world that desperately needs it. And thank God that throughout the centuries, whether it was Israel or it's the church, he's always kept a faithful remnant to himself. A faithful remnant that don't get caught up in legalism and rigidity and that don't compromise and get on with apathy and look like the culture. But a faithful remnant that have sought to stay true, humbly true before God, not perfect by any means, but have wanted to drive forward with what God's called them to do. And that's one of the things that five years ago attracted Marcia and me to come to Wooddale Church. Now, I'm not here to glorify Wooddale Church because you're all a bunch of sinners just like me. We are all a bunch of sinners. But God has done remarkable things in and through the faithful folks of Wooddale Church over 75 years, which we celebrated last year. In fact, Wooddale Church had an impact on my life way before I came here, when I was still a young, struggling pastor in California. Now I'm an old, struggling pastor in Minnesota, but... We were in a church, I still have, we still have great affection for that church. Some of our dearest friends were made there. But it was a church that had become encumbered by doing things the same way forever. And to break out of that was so hard. Well, Whitdale had a ministry here called Church Next, which we were invited to because I knew somebody who knew somebody. And we showed up here, and I want you to know that that ministry, because of Whitdale's innovative style, that ministry allowed us to break out of a couple of hundred people to about eight or 900 people at our zenith and see hearts and lives transformed and changed in that community and beyond. So I am very grateful to Wooddale Church. I'm very grateful that our church has been and continues to be, and as long as I have breath, will be anchored on the Word of God. 
where God will direct us. And we'll use the God-given sense that God has granted to us to, to understand this word and live out this word. And I also appreciate the fact that Wooddale has kept many good and wonderful traditions, but we're not bound by our traditions. We understand the importance of also being relevant and innovative and, and being willing to make a difference. And whether you're new here or have been here, you've been part of a body of believers that God has been using in a tremendous way. So that brings us to a couple of very important announcements this weekend that I'm very excited about. Before I share those with you, there's a statement, there's a quote by a man named Henry Blackaby who wrote the book Experiencing God. And uh, in that quote, he simply says this. I, I love this quote. He says, you cannot stay where you are and go with God. That is so true. You cannot stay where you are and go with God. Have you ever noticed that God is always on the move? He doesn't let, you know, he doesn't let the grass grow under his feet. He's just always on the move. Look at Jesus. He's always on the move. Look at the New Testament. What, what book describes what God does after the resurrection? It's called the book of what? The book of Acts. That just speaks of kinetic energy. That speaks of movement. And the book of Acts isn't finished yet. We're living the book of Acts today. God wants his people to be on the move. But we have to be moving with God and moving in the right direction. And so I want to remind us of our mission why we exist, taken from Matthew 28, 19 and 20, and Acts chapter 1, verse 8, simply stated the mission of our church is to honor God by making more disciples for Jesus Christ. Let's say it together. To honor God by making more disciples for Jesus Christ. That's why we exist. It has guided this church over the years. Now, once you know what your mission is, then you can talk about your vision because your vision just simply answers. If we take seriously why we exist, what are we going to become? What are we going to become? And over the years, Wooddale has set out various visions of what it felt God was calling it to become in the next, you know, in the next uh, decade or, or however long they, they decided to make that span of time. I mean, one of the great visions was to leave Richfield and come out out here to the frontier at that time called Eden Prairie. Can you imagine? Uh, in the 80s. It's not a frontier anymore, is it? And, but that was a risky move. That was a costly move. But we are benefiting from it. And God was with those leaders and with those faithful folks. And some of you are, are part of that. What a vision to say we're not just going to stay where we are and do things the way we've always been doing it. We're going to get ahead of the curve and make a difference. And God has used this church profoundly. God gave this church a vision for a while to plant churches. And some of those churches that have been planted have planted more churches. So we're grandparents. <laughs> Great grandparents. Because God has been faithful to that vision. I could list many other kinds of ministries that God has blessed and used, both locally and globally, because of the faithfulness of this congregation. So in 2015, we decided to that it was time to take seriously our mission and, and ask God, what do you want to do? And we said, for the next seven years. And we came up with Vision 22. And so Vision 22, based on the year 2020, 2020, 2022, is to impart the hope of the gospel to 700,000 people here, near, and far, and create a clear pathway to spiritual maturity. That's what we want to be about. And underneath that came certain goals and certain strategies that we would pursue. And that's what our heart has been all about. Well, here's the good news. Obviously, God was in that vision, and he has blessed that vision because we have seen God do amazing things here. 
Just to recap some of the things that God has done as a result of that, we brought our, our children's ministry upstairs. We renovated that area so as parents walked in, they would see a safe, clean, innovative area for their kids, and God's blessing our children's ministry. We reinvented things and redid the gym so our junior high ministry would have a, a spot where they could have fun and worship God and be relevant and it would fit to their, their space and, and their interests. In our high school ministry, we gave them the great room and did some major upgrades over there as well. We did the cafe over here. We prepared the house to be relevant to our community. And our preschool and all these ministries are growing wonderfully with their leaders and their students. We're excited about that. We relaunched the Edina campus which had hardly any kids, and now you trip over the kids. And now there's a, a thriving youth ministry that's beginning to grow over there, and it's exciting what God is doing at Edina. We launched the Loring Park campus, and God's doing amazing things there as well. We hired a discipleship pastor, and Brian, who spoke last weekend and did a great job, has uh, refocused us to make sure that while we want to grow wide and reach more people, we grow deep in our roots and our faith and our understanding of God, whether it's Sunday school, small groups, mid-sized groups, or one-to-one -one discipleship, or any of the other myriad of ministries like Celebrate Recovery that takes place here at this particular campus and our other campuses as well. So God has done so much that we began to realize, you know, we've, we've pretty much accomplished everything we said we were going to set out and do. We said we wanted to plant between four to 6,000 churches by the year 2022. We are already nearly at 5,000 churches, and it's only 2019. And we thought to ourselves, what do we do? Do we just kind of sit back and coast and, and relax and say, wow, look how God has been faithful, and we've all done a great job and commit idolatry? Because <laughs> you know when you stand still, it's what you always end up doing. Israel wanted to get in the land, and when they got in the land, what did they do? They committed idolatry right away. To this very day, they committed idolatry with that land. We can commit idolatry with our, our facilities. We can commit idolatry with our ministries. We can get, commit idolatry with the, the way we've always done things, or we can be ready to move with God. And so we feel like God has called us to move, to accelerate Vision 22. And so I spoke to our campus pastors at all three campuses, and I said, I want you to form three teams. And I said, I want you to go out in our communities, and I'll join you. Let's ask our community, what are the needs? Where do you feel the most hopeless? We talked to mayors and principals and other officials and, and constituents and business folks and found out what are the needs in Eden Prairie, Edina, and the Loring Park vicinity. We got this massive list. We began asking ourselves, where there's hopelessness, where could we come in and bring hope? And by the way, you'd be shocked and surprised in the affluent communities like Edina, Eden Prairie, Minnetonka, etc. There's some, there's some real hopelessness. It's just masked over a lot of times, but it's there. How can we meet those needs? We began talking about what that would look like, and a phrase came to my mind, which I've had in my heart and mind for many years, way before I came here. And I just realized, I think this is why God gave me these, this phrase so many years ago. I thought to myself, what if Wooddale were to become in each of our communities and wherever God would take us, what if we became epicenters of irresistible hope? What if we were known as an epicenter of irresistible hope? That sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? Where people, when they contact us, are, are near us or among us, have such a sense of exhilaration, such a hope for life, despite their circumstances or what they might be facing or what they might be going through. And so I told the team in a, in a prayer gathering, I said, you know what? I don't know how this is all going to work out. I know that when earthquakes happen in our world, it's always a negative thing. 
There's an epicenter where the energy is released and it sends out shockwaves that are not very good. But I said, I said, couldn't we have an epicenter that's really a spirit quake? What if the Holy Spirit just started something at each of our campuses that sent out waves of hope? Don't you think our country needs a spiritual shakeup these days? Don't we desperately need to turn back to God? And it's not going to do any good to yell at the culture and get angry at the culture. It's not working, folks. What the culture is still waiting for, and I think what God is waiting for, are some of his followers who are authentic followers to just show up and do the gospel. Speak it and do it and live it. God will then draw people in because of the power of that witness. But to just preach at people and yell at people is not going to change things. Or to just be very social and never speak the truth is not going to change things. That's just as bad, if not worse. People are only going to listen to you if while you speak the truth, you offer the hope that truth can bring into a broken, lost, hurting, confused, lonely student's life or adult's life. And so within 24 hours of saying God will show us, we got a phone call. We got a phone call from an individual who was new to Wooddale Church, and they had no idea what we were thinking and praying about. They had no concept of what was going on. And they called us and they said, you know, there's this opportunity in downtown Minneapolis that some friends of mine have mentioned to me. They've asked me to kind of handle it for them. And I thought I'd talk to you guys first. It's a group of Christian businessmen who wanted to start a coffee house in downtown. They had the right mind, the right heart, but the wrong strategy and the wrong leadership in place. They don't want to just give the assets of the, you know, the equipment that they have away and give up the lease space. They, they'd like a ministry like Wooddale to take it over. Would you think about it? Then all of a sudden I went back to our vision statement and that word hope has <laughs> popped out. It's like, yeah, this could be an innovative, unique way of bringing hope. Wooddale's done innovative, unique things before, like moving out here, planting churches, multi-siting. What if our first epicenter of hope is in downtown Minneapolis? And so we called in the experts from our congregation, from our staff, business, legal, the whole nine yards, did our due diligence, and I'm, I'm happy, I'm excited to introduce to you what is going to be our first epicenter of irresistible hope, which I hope all of us, our campuses will become, and our fourth campus. I'll take you where it is first. It's located in a part of Minneapolis. If we can go to the map, called Seven Corners. How many of you know where Seven Corners is? It was all new to me, all right? It was all new to me. Why is God taking what's been a suburban church downtown? We're already in Loring Park. Well, God, God just loves to mess with you, doesn't he? doesn't like to do things that are predictable, so you stay dependent on him. And so God, God, we believe, is leading us to seven corners, and he's leading us to an intersection of three of the U of M's graduate schools. By the way, Wooddale, for many years before I, I ever came, wanted to do something impactful at the U of M because many of you have been there. And so God took us down there. And we are leasing space, and we're going to have a coffee shop. We'll call it Seven Corners Coffee for now. Above us are 500 graduate residences. Across the street are 500 graduate residences. Within a five-minute walk of the law school, 
within a five-minute walk of Humphrey School of Public Affairs, and within a five-minute walk of Carlson School of Management, we are going to go into that community and become Jesus to those graduate students. There are over three, there are about 3,000 graduate students in those three schools, of which 542 are foreign students. When I start thinking about that, praying about that, my heart started to beat really fast, and I began to think this is where the Apostle Paul would come. Read the book of Acts. Paul would go to places like Athens. He would go to some place like Rome. He would go to some place like Ephesus because it was a crossroads of thinking, intellectualism. It was a crossroads of commerce. It was a crossroads, politically speaking. And Paul sowed the gospel there. And as converts were made, he would disciple them. And then they would leave because they were crossroads from all over the Roman Empire. They would leave those big cities those philosophical, intellectual, religious centers, they would go back into their towns like Colossae and Derby and Lystra and others, and there they would plant churches. And there the gospel would be exported. I want you to get this vision with me. You and I, by God's grace, had this massive responsibility to be at the corner of these graduate schools where we had the opportunity with residences living above us, 500 above us, 500 across the street from us, we had the ability to influence the next leaders of the world, the next leaders of business, of policy, and of legal institutions of the world. If those foreign students are touched by Christ and go back to their countries where we may never be able to go as believers, what is it God could do with them and through them? Do you see how strategic this is? You see the possibility of this? I'm excited about it. Make a difference. I had, uh, I had, um, you know, and, and you never know what you say these things. Last night I had a, a lady at Saturday night service who came down and said, I'm a professor at one of the graduate schools. I've been praying for something like this for 23 years. Last service, I had a young couple came up to me and said, you are so right. We both went to one of those graduate schools. My husband and I, we met there, and we got, we got saved there because somebody mentored us while we were there. She said, I'm so excited about this. So our intention is to open by late July, so we have the incoming students, to fully renovate it. We're looking for a campus pastor who's uniquely qualified for that type of uh, uh, culture to reach that culture for Christ. We're looking for a director of coffee to run the business. We think within two years it'll be self-sustaining just in the business. We found out in our research that graduate students are, are the ones who pay the most for coffee and tea. They love high-priced coffee and tea. <laughs> True, that's market research. Isn't that amazing? There goes your, there goes your tuition. <laughs> we anticipate holding seminars in this setting. Inviting in uh, world-class thinkers like Ravi Zacharias, Tim Keller, Nancy Piercy, and others to present a Christian worldview, not to cause antagonism, but to have honest discussion. We anticipate that this would be a place where some of you who have background in, in business and in legal issues and politics can go down and mentor these students. Do you know that students in law school are the least mentored and yet desire it? I don't know if you're aware that a lot of these students are looking for somebody to mentor them, help guide their dreams. They feel lost down there, especially the foreign students. And for you to be able to go down there, have a cup of coffee, and just share your real-life experience in, in politics or in business or in policies or whatever it is, 
that may lead to an opportunity to share Christ with them. And then we hope on the weekends to close it down for an hour or two and just host a worship service there, like we do at our multi-sites, and believe that God will do great and mighty things as a result of that. So that's one of the big announcements. Now, you know, sometimes God just seems to be not doing anything. Have you ever had moments in your life like that where it's like, God, where are you? And then all of a sudden, it's just like God just showers you. Right? He just shows up in so many ways. And so at the same time, we get a phone call from the owner of the Music Box Theater. And he says to us, I'm retiring, I'm selling the theater. You guys want to buy it? I'll give you first right refusal. And we're like, uh, we need a little bit of time. <laughs> and he was extremely gracious in giving us that time, and still is. We did due diligence. We brought in building inspectors. It's an old building. We talked to city officials. We had our experts, legal and business and otherwise, look into this. And after a lot of research, a lot of time, a lot of prayer, talking to Trent, the pastor there, Pastor Trent, and his team of, of staff and wonderful volunteers, we've become convinced that, yes, we need to purchase this. Lori Park is a very unique campus. There are a few true downtown campuses. You know what they call a lot of churches downtown? They call them helicopter churches. They helicopter in from the suburb on the weekends because it's cool to be downtown, and they helicopter back out. To have a church that stays downtown means a lot to them, and it's truly a downtown church. We started it with 75 people. They're now about 200. We started it with just a couple of, a couple of kids. It's filled with kids now. It had no youth group. Now it has a vibrant youth group that's meeting on Wednesdays. They do all kinds of things during the week. Go down there at 10 a.m. and enjoy the service sometimes. See what's going on down there. But during the week, they have recovery ministry, small groups, in league with uh, Steiger Ministries, which is their global partner that reaches the secular culture. We offer concerts down there and dramatic events. We do youth events. We, we help provide food for those who are needy and struggling. It is a beautiful mixture of color down there. It's a beautiful mixture of people from all kinds of social and economic backgrounds. It is truly what feels to me like an Acts community. It's making a difference. I got a letter. It came in two weeks ago. It was addressed to this campus. It is really addressed to you, and I will read it to you. Timing could not have been better. That's how God works. This individual wrote to us here, and he said, I walked in the door of your downtown church a few months ago for the first time. A friendly staff member welcomed me inside. I immediately felt comfortable with the vibe. I like that. The building has commercial theater feel, which I enjoy very much. It was very unlike a typical church. So glad we're not stuck with having to do things the same way all the time, everywhere. Then he writes, I love the pastor. I'm sure he met Pastor Trent. The worship... <laughs> the building, and everything about the downtown campus. Now here, this is to you. This part's to you. He said, this must sound crazy, but every time I am worshiping, I literally look around the theater and think about if the members in the suburbs who gave money to make this place happen know how much I personally appreciate this place. That is why I wrote this letter today. This letter is to thank anyone who has given to Christ with a grateful heart but has never been to the downtown campus. You have made a difference. Thank you very much, two exclamation marks. Myself and many homeless people that have very little to give appreciate you. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, I can honestly, I can honestly tell you that that letter is just one of dozens of examples at Loring Park. But listen carefully, not just Loring Park. Every week, 
we're seeing an increase here at our Eden Prairie campus of men and women whose lives are being touched and blessed because of your generosity and ministry of this church. Now, we can't purchase that building without your approval. It requires the approval of the membership. And so on March 11th, you'll have time and opportunity to vote on that. And before March 11th, for the next four weeks, we are going to give you every opportunity to ask questions, investigate the details, give your input so we make these decisions together. But you know, as we were thinking about this, we thought to ourselves, you know what, we've got this long-term debt that we've had for a long time. Wouldn't it be awesome if we could pay off our debt and be debt-free and from just now on as we move into the future, avoid long-term debt and be agile? We realized if we could pay off our long-term debt, it would free up money for us to do in other ministries of hope. You know, one of the exciting ministries that God is doing, and we don't hear much about it, and I'm going to make sure we start hearing more about it, are our microsites. We go into senior adult living centers. We're in four, and there's about two or three that are asking us to come. We can't keep pace with it. We offer our services with closed captioning for the residences and their families who stay and watch. It is a growing, thriving ministry. We're getting the message out to a group that's oftentimes forgotten and so desperately needs to hear the hope or be encouraged with the hope that they already know. In addition to that, there's just some housekeeping that we need to take care of at Edina and here at uh, In Prairie. So I know what all of you are wondering at this point, and that what you're wondering is how much it will cost. Am I right? Some of you are here saying, man, that's my first time at your church. I didn't want to come here something like this. I, I, you know, I'm sorry, but we're a family. We're, we're moving forward with what God's calling us to do. And if I were looking for a new church, I'd want to be at a church that's making something happen. So I think hopefully this is an encouragement. If you wanted to be part of a church that's on the move and changing hearts and lives, we'd love to have you be with us because that's what God is doing. And there's always a cost of following Christ. At least we don't have to give our very lives like so many people do. But we are asking you to consider these things to accelerate Vision 22. Number one, it's going to cost us about $600,000 for this new coffee house, fully renovated, ready to go, get our staff in place so it's ready to go for the next year and a half. We believe in two years it will be self-supporting. We believe that's the direction of future multi-sites. How do we do them so they can operate in a way that produces an income of self-support? Number two, purchase the music box, $1.95 million. Number three, Reallocation of our debt services. Pay off the 1.65 and start using that money for ministry. Number four, okay, plant eight to 12,000 churches in Asia by 2022. Now, we started out, we started out with our initiative to plant four to six by 2022. I told you we're, at, we're about five and it's only 2019. We've spent about a million dollars. It costs us between 300 and 350 bucks to start a church that's going to take care of widows and orphans. It has 10 unrelated families, and we have high accountability through our partnership with TTI. Do we just stop now? Do we just stop and say, okay, we did it, we're done? Or do we say, let's double our efforts? I say, let's double our efforts. I say, rather than saying, look, 36,000 people came to Christ, at the end of 2022, we have 12,000 churches and 100,000 people have come to Christ and orphans and widows and girls being taken out of the sex trade. It's the best dollar you'll ever spend. And we have the proof of it. We have the proof of it. And then, and then yes, we, we need to do some innovative things. God, God's doing some interesting things at Edina. You should go visit there. 
kids are growing. The youth group there is beginning to really grow. They had a recent event where there were 70 kids there. We've got a campus, uh, uh, we have a youth pastor there now that's full-time dedicated there and working. Things are exciting over there, but they need, they need their gym renovated, just like our junior high had theirs. Their upstairs space desperately needs some help. They need some AV equipment and some work done there. This campus, I mean, God's doing a tremendous thing. We're about to host Treehouse Ministry here, do some things with Teen Challenge here. Our preschool is growing. Our, our children, youth ministry is expanding. So we got some major things that need to be taken care of here, upgrades that need to be made, renovations that need to be done. Marsha and I were recently at a mega church, and uh, we're sitting in the audience, and we know what that church used to be at some point in time, one of the leading churches in this area, beautiful building. We sat there, it's gone through some hard times. We looked around, the carpet is stained and torn, the walls are dirty, cobwebs are everywhere. It looks tired, it looks like it just looks like everybody kind of gave up, and you can just tell it's run down. If you're a new person, you walk in, you just sit there and you go, that's not relevant. That's not ministering to me where I'm at. We want to make sure we continue with our renovation here, continue to present ourselves in such a way that tells the community there's space here for you. We're relevant, but we're not extravagant. We're trying to make a difference. We want you to be in community to be with us so it serves the community and it serves us. You add it all up, we're looking at about 7.4 million. We wouldn't come and ask you for that if we didn't go to our leaders first. And so we went to about 100 of them and said, they represent what I would call 100 giving units, and said, would you commit to this campaign? Marsha and I are included in that group. And when we walked away and asked them for a two-year commitment, uh, our leader said, we'll commit $2.1 million, and millions come in already. That leaves for us, it leaves the rest of us to raise $5.3 million. Do you know how you eat an elephant? One bite at a time, right? If you're sitting there looking at that, you're thinking about yourself, you're going, there's no way that's going to happen. That's because you're thinking about yourself. If all of us take a bite of this, we should be able to exceed that. We should be able to exceed that and accomplish even more. See, it's numbers, it's dollars, but that's how you accelerate the vision. The vision will be accomplished the degree we are willing to sacrifice. So for the next four weeks, we're going to do a massive download so you have all the information you could possibly want for this campaign. When you walk out today, you're going to receive this packet and when you receive this, it's going to summarize everything I said up here with the numbers. It's going to give you, most importantly, some ways to specifically pray. And it's going to tell you where all the informational meetings are going to be and when they're going to be. Beginning next weekend, part of the chapel will be devoted to our vision room. There will always be a staff member, a leader in there to answer your questions. There will be a little card for you to take and begin to pray about what God would have you give if this is what God has for us. So that on March 11th, the membership of our church can vote on whether to purchase the Music Box Theater or not. And so that you can also vote at the same time to affirm this campaign, which you're already in the process of praying about. Now, we have good faith that, that you will affirm it. Say, well, what if we don't? <laughs> That's fine with me. I'm going to trust that God's going to speak to you and God's going to work through you. And then on the 16th and 17th, we'll collect your commitments, and sometime after Easter, we'll announce. And we will only spend what is committed to. We won't go beyond that. Whitney M. Jr. said, 
it is better to be prepared for an opportunity and not have one than to have an opportunity and not be prepared. God is giving us tremendous opportunities. The question is, are we prepared? I don't know about you, but I am. I'm prepared to see what God is going to do. I look over at these students sitting here. And I, by the way, students, when you guys sit there, it, makes my, it just makes my whole weekend. When that area is like empty and vacant, I get sad. Ask my wife. I do. I just go, I miss my students. You guys, you guys are the future. And a lot of what we're talking about is investing in their lives. And not just in their lives, but the future of generations to come. I'm thankful for Wooddale Church. I'm thankful for the men and women of this church that I get to be a part of. I'm thankful for what God's calling us to and what he's going to do in the days to come. And so we want to give our offering as a way of saying thank you to God. I'm not asking you to give toward the campaign at this point. This is just our regular tithes and offerings. You say, we've never done it that way before. That's good. <laughs> Maybe it's better at the end of a service anyway because, you know, the offering is a time of thanksgiving. It's a time of saying, God, you've been so good to me. I give you back this little, this little piece as a good steward just to say thank you. Let's thank him. Father, thank you so much for your love for us. We want to present to you our tithes and offerings today, Lord, as an act of, of worship. I just thank you so much for Wooddale Church, Lord, the impact it's had on my life and ministry, the lives and ministries of people, Lord, all around this world. Father, you're not done with us yet. There's so much more to do and never more important than today, now. Lord, be with us. Lord, provide for us, protect us. The enemy's going to blow hard against this, Lord. Even the weather today, God, is just like the one Sunday. It just felt like we, everything's being pushed against us. But I thank you that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, that through Christ we can do all things because he strengthens us. Thank you that hope, hope is not just a term. Hope is a person. Hope has a name. Jesus. Amen.